What's going on, everybody? I'm Dylan Pertemery, and welcome back to another episode of Top Shelf. We are over halfway through the NHL season, and teams are starting to find out where they are going to end up in the race for the playoffs. Some teams have fallen off and will be unloading, while others will look to bolster to make a deep cup run. That's all we're going to leave it to right now. I'll listen more as we hop into yet another episode of Top Shelf. Alrighty, so to start out this episode, I would like to congratulate two players. First is Evgeny Malkin, who scored his 1100th point on Monday in their 4-1 win over the Bruins. Malkin becomes the 63rd all-time and fifth active player to hit that milestone. He achieved it with a wrist shot from the right circle on the power play. Malkin has 426 goals and 676 assists in 935 games of his career. Even though of how highly people rank him, I still think he tends to be underrated from his career. He is a clear number one center who has just been shadowed in the shadow of Sidney Crosby. Any other team, he would be their number one center and is an absolutely amazing goal scorer. While he didn't get off to the best start this year, he has recovered and has four goals and eight assists on an eight-game point streak. And the second player is Keith Yandel, who played his 1,000th game against the Blackhawks on Saturday. Yandel has spent nine seasons in Arizona, two in New York with the Rangers, and now a fifth season with Florida. Yandel was presented with the commemorative silver stick for reaching 1,000 games. He also got to present his wife Kristen and his two daughters, Myla and Lola, with a bouquet of flowers. The team put together a special tribute video, which he featured his, him, his teammates of past and present, his parents, Buddy and Patty, one of his high school coaches and Hockey Hall of Fame defenseman, Ray Borg. Yandel also received a framed plaque featuring pictures of him playing for each of the three teams throughout his career. Yandel, who wasn't sure if he was going to actually make the Florida team this year, there was talks he might have been a scratch, which would have ended his long um, active game streak of playing consecutive games, which we talked about in a previous episode. Um, but he's stayed in the roster and helped them become one of the shocks of the Central sitting in second place. He has three goals and 15 assists on the season and 102 goals and 489 assists in his whole career. Moving on to the struggling Sabres who have been a topic of conversation all through the NHL and what are they gonna do? Well, this morning it was announced that head coach Ralph Kruger has been fired after the Sabres now lost their 12th straight game. GM Kevin Adams called out Buffalo's competitiveness this season and said that everything is being evaluated. The Sabres, who made so many moves in this offseason, adding Taylor Hall in free agency and adding veteran Eric Stahl in a trade, and just nothing is really clicking for them. And as much as Sabres might not want to hear this and might not want this to be the case, I honestly think their best solution is to do a rebuild and unload players. You are going to have to dump off Jack Eichel and move Eric Stahl probably at this deadline and probably eventually move on from Rasmus Ristolainen, who will become a free agent at the end of next season. 
they have lost also Linus Olmark, their goalie, for about a month, who might have been one of the only bright spots so far this season on the team. Jack Eichel is also injured and is out for, quote, the foreseeable future, according to the team, and that's what they said. And it's not sure when his return would be, even if it would be this season, which means he probably won't be moved before the trade deadline this year. Um, a big question, though, is what happens with Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall, who was the top UFA this past year, decided to sign a one-year deal with the Sabres. And in my opinion, I thought he was stupid for doing this. And from what I've seen, I believe that I'm right in saying that. He has just two goals and 14 assists and sits at a negative 17 for his plus minus. With so many other teams around, like the Avalanche, Hall could have signed a one-year deal at a discounted price. It wouldn't have been $8 million, but it still would have been good money, like five, somewhere between like four to $6 million, something around there. And he would have been on a contender. Now, I don't know exactly where his priorities lie, but I feel like he's gotten paid in his career, gotten his paycheck. Wouldn't wouldn't you want a cup? I could only imagine that any NHL player wants a cup more than they want that paycheck. And he's already been paid. Uh, Hall has expressed that he would consider an extension in staying in Buffalo and saying that he likes it there. Um, it seems like the only reason why I could imagine he enjoys it there is playing alongside of top center Jack Eichel. I can't imagine Hall getting too big of an extension from the Sabres as they don't want to be giving away any big money long-term deals with an unsure player. As we've seen, they've already messed that up before, uh, signing Jeff Skinner to that ridiculous contract. Kyle Ocposo, who got a long-term deal and I think still has three years left on at 6.3 and a half which for a top nine forward is a very bad deal. If Hall does choose to resign, it would most likely only be a max two years, maybe three, but I would imagine if they were going to give it a second go for next season with him and Eichel, it would be around a one year, $6 million ish kind of that area deal. So the move would only be temporary in hopes that maybe in a full season, they could get things going and after already having one season under their belt. But I, I, I don't, I don't think the Sabres have enough assets to make the playoffs. Nevertheless, to be a contender, even next season, they don't have the biggest amount of cap room. They don't have the most amount of prospects. He's not really, they don't have, their top end player is Hall and Eichel, which we've already seen isn't enough. So what what do they think is going to change from this season to next? I I think that this, I think holding on to Eichel isn't doing them any favors. And I think it's time this offseason, it's time to cash in on him. He's entering into his prime. He'll be 25 years old. Many teams have interest in him. Teams will have to give up at least a couple first rounders and most importantly, a top prospect. Uh, there was kind of rumorish things, you know, J Jack Eichel's from Boston, maybe he'd go to the Bruins, but the Bruins would really just be giving up four first round picks, which you can't really sell that to the Sabres fans because 
Sabres aren't going to want four first round picks because what's a pick in 2024 going to even do for them? So it'd be more to a team that had some top prospects, which is why I think New York could be a potential landing spot for Jack Eichel if he leaves the season. Rangers who need that top line center. Mika Zibanejad is not not a top end center, will not help them make it to the playoffs and compete in the playoffs. I think Zibanejad would be great on the second line, but adding a Jack Eichel as your first line center, you give up two first rounders and probably Capo Caco because you'd rather keep Alexi Lafreniere. Maybe you give up one first, a third, Capo Caco and another prospect as well, but something along those lines. I think the Rangers would be a great fit, but I also think they have to move on from Eric Stahl. They traded for him. His contract's going to be up this year. He's not going to resign with Buffalo. You might as well cash in on him. Could probably get a second, maybe a third in a like minor prospect, something along that. I think you cash in. Obviously, you're not making the playoffs. Saul's not going to resign. There's no point in keeping him on your team. And I think I think you got to either th- this offseason, I think you got to move Eichel. I, I don't think you can try next year. Eichel's value might drop if you do that. Um, I think you got to move on. And I think if they move on from Michael, I don't think Hall's staying with him, even though he said he would consider a contract extension. I think if they move on from Michael, Hall's not going to want to be there. He'll be stuck in the middle of nowhere unless his priorities are just to get money, in which case, go for it, Hall. I think you're throwing away your career by doing that. Um, and finally, is Rossmus Ristolainen, who kind of sits in that middle point. Um, he's a young, great defenseman. I, I think his value will also drop off. His contract will be up at the end of next season. Not sure where he stands at wanting to resign, but if you're going to start a rebuild, you can keep Rasmus Dahlin as your franchise D-man and move on from Ristolainen and just start rebuilding, but make sure that, that you're not just trading for picks, that you're, you're trading for prospects. So your fans don't think that you're just throwing everything away for picks, but you're getting established prospects that could be players of the future for your team. But right, right now the Sabres sit in one of the worst positions in the entire league. Moving on to North of the border, we're going to discuss the Toronto Maple Leafs and what their trade deadline might be looking like a team that had a hot start and has fallen off a bit since the start, but they still sit atop of the North, but the Jets don't stand too far behind. And neither do the Flames who have started to find their mojo after firing their head coach and has won their last three games. The Leafs look to be active as we near closer to the trade deadline. GM Kyle Dubas said that they're more, much more likely to grab a rental UFA than going for someone long-term. Uh, however, he said if there was something good to look for that would fit for the future, that they would try and make it work. Dubas commented on how this year's trade, trade deadline is a bit different due to quarantining. Normally during trade deadline, we see lots of moves on that day as teams are looking to sell and other teams are desperate to buy to fit, fill that need that they have in that hole they have in their lineup. It may be a bit of a benefit to trade for a player earlier, though, for the Canadian teams, as any player who would be brought in from the U.S. would be required to sit out for 14 days due to quarantining. And if they did come in on the trade deadline, would only be able to play about six, 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 seven games 
at the end of the season. Uh, the Leafs are looking to target primarily a forward to help them out. They might be looking for a left winger to round out their amazing top six that they already have, finding that left winger on the line of Tavares is Nylander. Uh, Dubo said they would be willing to move a top prospect like Nick Robertson, Rodian Amriyov, Rasmus Sandin, or Timothy Lilligran. They stay more fixated on a rental because with COVID, it appears that the salary cap won't be rising and it will be staying around $81.5 million next year. And with forward Zach Hyman and goaltender Frederick Anderson's contracts coming up, they need to make sure that there's room for them to maneuver and hopefully re-sign the two for next year. That is why a one-year rental does seem to seem like the better option. So next year they wouldn't have that term and wouldn't necessarily have to hold on to that forward if they didn't have the room. Moving over to another Canadian team, Montreal Canadiens, the Canes, who had a great start to their season as well, now sit fourth and look to make a playoff push. However, they've come out and said that they aren't really looking to make any moves before the trade deadline. The Canadians were very active in free agency, adding Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson, goaltender Jake Allen, Joel Edmondson, and Alexander Romanov. They also do sit fairly close to that cap hit of $81.5 million, so making a big move would be quite difficult for them. I also personally think they don't really have to make any moves and they sit in a very good situation right now, especially for a team who was uncertain and kind of on the bubble of making the playoffs now making the push. I think they can do it with the team they have. Uh, GM Mark Bergeman came out and said that they are looking at prospect Cole Caulfield, who they drafted 15th overall in 2019 as a possible call up for them near the end of the season. Caulfield, who's currently playing for Wisconsin, was unanimously named the Big Ten Player of the Year. He scored 28 goals and 21 assists in for 49 points in 30 games. He led the entire collegiate field in scoring. Caulfield, who has always been known for scoring, has taken steps to improving his off-the-puck off skills. Bergevin said he would let Caulfield finish out his season before considering bringing him up as an option. Caulfield is yet to play in an NHL game, and it would be a huge step. There is a big difference between the NCAA and the NHL, especially for a player of Caulfield's size who is five foot seven. Uh, I do think he would be a great depth player for Montreal. Could probably get carried on that taxi squad once he's done because he won't be in the AHL or anything. Caulfield could be fielded onto the power play and make an instant impact with his powerful and accurate shot of his and also could be thrown into the lineup occasionally if rest is needed or if players are on the COVID-19 protocol list for direct replacements of either Tyler Toffoli or Thomas Tatar or maybe even Corey Perry's guys who are kind of similar snipers like he is and just throw him on the power play and let him sit, sit and just rip some shots because even shooting translates directly it's the physicality that doesn't translate from the ncaa to the nhl but if you've got a good shot that that will translate no problem moving over from the canadians to their rivals the boston bruins who also will probably look to be active close to the trade deadline a team that is two two and one in their last five and have been struggling sit just within the top four of the east Boston's main struggle this year has been scoring despite not losing any significant forwards in the offseason. 
and losing two big D-men of their Tori Krug and Zdeno Chara, while they, while they do also look to address their D-man, it hasn't really been that big a problem for them being one of the best teams defensively, allowing just 65 goals in the season. However, they have only scored 73, which ranks 24th in the league. A huge problem for the Bruins, who consider themselves a contender. With Detroit being sure out of the playoffs, two of their players stick out as potential trade options. A short term would be Bobby Ryan, who has one year left at $1 million. He could be a veteran depth goal scorer, exactly who the Bruins are in need of that depth goal scoring. Another Red Wings option would be Anthony Mantha, who has three years left at $5.7 million a year. Um, He's kind of been struggling in Detroit, as has a lot of people, but him more so. And I think this could be a very good fit for the Bruins. And I think he would most likely get thrown onto a second line and be a long-term option, and I think could work out very well. Now, Jake DeBrusque hasn't been that impressive this season for the Bruins. It would most likely be needed to be involved in this trade alongside of probably another prospect and a first rounder or a couple of picks. Pairing Mantha up on the second line with Krejci and Richie, I think could be a great option for the Boston Bruins. It would remind me a lot of their successful second line in their 2011 Stanley Cup where we saw Krejci paired alongside of Nathan Horton and Milan Lucic. I think Richie would be the Lucic style forward of that kind of power forward, drives hard to the net and is really feisty, where Mantha would serve as the Nathan Horton type of power forward who's more of a sniper with a great shot that could serve very well on a second power play unit. Uh, A main concern in Boston has been finding that second line winger to pair David Krejci up, Krejci, who's a tremendous playmaker and a very good second-line center since losing Lucic and Horton, hasn't really found that winger to pair beside him. Uh, he's played alongside of Pasternak a couple times, which has worked out, but the Bruins really like to keep Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak all together, but have considered splitting them up sometimes. But if you could bring in a winger that would pair up very well with Krejci, while keeping that perfection line up there would help and make the Bruins very scary and hopefully solve their scoring situation. Moving swiftly on over to the New York Rangers, who also sit in that East Division, are currently in six, but not entirely out with still half the season to code. They sit eight points out of fourth place. Uh, there's still plenty of time for them to come back. They added back Artemi Panarin, their superstar, who took that leave of absence, and he looks to get the ball rolling again after everything he encountered. Um, he added an apple in his game back against the Bruins, where they won four to nothing, and added a goal and two assists in their five to four overtime loss against the Flyers. While I see it as unlikely that the New York Rangers make the playoffs this year, I think the Rangers lack that top line center, like I mentioned, a Jack Eichel. And they also need time for their youth to develop, like Alexi Lafonier, who got off to a bad start, but has picked it up a bit, and other young players like Bujnevich, who's had a great season but hasn't made that huge step yet, and Capo Caco, and they have young defenseman Adam Fox, 
they, they've got a little bit of a youth development going on there, but hopefully they can get it going next season because obviously Artemi Panarin isn't getting any younger and would love to help lead that team. Finally, we have injury news for the Islanders as Captain Anders Lee is going to be out for the rest of the season as he is expected to have surgery this week on a torn ACL. The Islanders who have picked up from where they left off last season sit at top of the East Division, a absolute shock to me. Um, I guess I shouldn't take it as a shot as Barry Trotz's defensive coaching is just always phenomenal. And Matthew Barzell has taken a great step up this year. And Semyon Varlamov started off fairly, very hot, has fallen off a bit, but still a great goaltender. But losing Anders Lee is a huge hit, especially losing your captain. Anders Lee, who had 12 goals this season, which is tied for the Islanders leading with Brock Nelson. He also had seven assists on the season. He's going to be greatly missed as they were looking to be like a tough team to beat. Um, Lee has been tremendous out front of the net on the power play for the Islanders uh, on their first unit and he had three power play goals alongside of an assist so despite losing Anders Lee the Islanders will still be looking to keep contending for the cup and as a defensive team I would think they could still do it although filling filling that role of Anders Lee he, he really was having a great season it's it's tough to see him go, but I guess we'll have to keep a close eye and see if the Islanders fall off in the next couple of weeks. But I think regardless, they're going to hold on and will still make it into the playoffs. As we are just about halfway through the season, it's time to check in on our award races. Now, I'm not going to be looking at or covering any of the undisputed awards, which is like who get the Maurice Richard who had the most goals or the Art Ross of who had the most points or the William N. Jennings, which goes to the goaltenders with the most wins on the season and stuff like that. So we're just going to go into the ones that kind of get voted on and could be disputed. So the first is the Calder race, which I think has kind of developed into almost a one horse race. Kirill Kaprizov is pulling out there. I think he quite, he leads the race by quite some margin, but don't count out some other players. Um, but this kid has turned around the Minnesota wild and turned them into a scary team. I have loved to watch the Minnesota wild this season and watch Kirill Kaprizov's amazing skating ability that he has. It's absolutely insane. This kid can turn on edges with no problem and bring such explosive energy to this wild team. He has 10 goals, 15 assists, and 25 points, all of which leads all rookies. He also leads the wild in points and is tied for leading them in assists. He also is a plus 11, which is very good, especially for a rookie. Um, his chemistry on the line since Zuccarello's come back, both of them able to speak Russian together. Who knows if that helps at all, but... On that line, him and Zuccarello have had great chemistry, and Victor Rask just merging the two has been phenomenal. He also scored his first ever hat trick, which was amazing, and he's helped the Wild to sit at second in the West with a record of 18-8-1. And, and while Kaprizov remains my favorite for the rest of the year, uh, I wouldn't count out the likes of Tim Stutzel, who has had a very good year. Um, with the struggling Ottawa Senators team, he looks to have a bright future as well. We have three goaltenders who are in the race as rookies, which is 
insane that we have like Vitek Vanacek, Ilya Samsonov, goalies like that in this race. However, I do think it'll come down to Kaprizov or Stutzel, but Kaprizov does have quite the lead on Stutzel right now. Next is the Norris, which goes to the best defender, which right now is clearly Victor Hedman. He leads all defensemen with 27 points in 28 games and is averaging the fourth most time on ice with 25 minutes and 30 seconds per game. That is almost half of the game that you will see Victor Hedman out on the ice for the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is absolutely insane. As well, the Lightning sit first in the central with a record of 26 and two. There really isn't much debate about it right now that Victor Hedman sits atop of that list. And if he continues on the streak that he's on, it doesn't seem like anyone's going to overtake him. Next is the Selkie, which I think is going to fall to Mark Stone. And the more and more I watch him, the more and more I appreciate him. He sits tied second for takeaways with 28 and just 17 giveaways and also has a plus minus of plus 17, which is third in the NHL and second among the forwards. He was a top three candidate last year, and I think he's got it locked up for this year. I think he's he's going to get it well, would be well, well deserving of it. He, he would be a right winger, which is a rarity. Normally, we see the Selkie traditionally going to centers. Centers are normally more of defensive players and kind of drop back and then are that is that like third guy back besides the 2D pairing, normally the first forward back. But with the way Mark Stone plays and playing up on that line with Stevenson and Pacioretty, he kind of serves more as the center despite Stevenson taking the face-offs. And I think it would be great for Stone to win that Selkie trophy. The final award is the Vesna, which goes to the best goalie, who in my opinion this season has been Mark andre Fleury. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury might be old and might have been seen to be getting pushed out from the Vegas Golden Knights, but he's 15-5-0 on the season and has a save percentage of 0.936%, which is only third behind Mrazek and Campbell, who may I mention have played four and three games respectively compared to Fleury's 20 games and is third behind those two as well in goals against, and he has 1.77 goals against. So a 0.936 save percentage and a 1.77 goals against is insane and absolutely amazing for Flurry. Laner has been ridden with injury this year and Flurry has taken that personally and said, I, I deserve the starting job, not Robin Laner, who you guys brought in and with Fleury having a great season, and I think this Vegas Golden Knights team is better than the team that made the cup final in their first ever year. And the Vegas Golden Knights seem to be a cup favorite in the league. Now it is finally time for my three stars of the week. So at number three is Nazim Kadri. Nazim Kadri had two goals and four assists for six points and a plus seven in the past four games for the Colorado Avalanche, in which they went four and oh. Kadri centers the second line of Saad and Burakovsky, and boy, has that line been beautiful and phenomenal this season. One of the best second lines in the league for sure. And Kadri, in one of those two goals he scored this week, had a beautiful toe drag around Kings defender Bjornfoot 
and sniped it into the top of the net. At number two is Leon Dreisettle, who put up six goals and three assists for nine points and a plus five in four games for the Oilers, where they went two and two. Dreisaitl, who's coming off an amazing MVP season last year, continues to build upon it and has 46 points so far, trailing only, yes, his teammate Connor McDavid. At number one is Alexander Barkov, who had four goals and three assists for seven points. He's my first star, plus three in Florida's last three games that they went 3-0. Barkov sits seventh in the NHL for points with 34 in has been a tremendous reason why the Panthers have had such an amazing season and sit second, technically sit second, but they're tied for first, but because of how overtime wins and that all works, lightning are first, but still completely exceeding expectations for the season. It was all going to rely on him and Huberdeau if they could have a season and they sit seventh and eighth respectively for points and are a big reason why the Panthers are most likely going to make the playoffs and have big expectations. And finally, to wrap everything up, we're going to go into the league leaders. I've gone over a couple of them already, talked about them. As I mentioned, Capri Sov leads all rookies with 25 points. McDavid still sitting at top of the league, again, leading in points and assists with 53 points and 36 assists. Austin Matthews continues to hunt for his first Rashid Mark, eh, excuse me, Maurice Richard Rockets trophy leading with 21 goals. Victor Hedman once again leads all defensemen with 27 points. And going into the goalies, Mrazek leads in both goals against and save percentage with 0.99 goals against and a 0.955 save percentage. Flurry is tied with Grubauer now for four shutouts, which is the tied league leading. And Vasilevsky still leads the league with wins with 18. So that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening in as we approached the midway point for the season. Still got a whole another half of the season to go. So much more can happen. Expect lots of trade rumors and maybe lots of trades to start happening soon as we approach the April 12th deadline. And some teams might make look to make a move before then to get quarantining out of the way. Make sure to follow me here on Spotify. I'll catch you all next week for yet another episode of Top Shelf.